0: If City Church is going to bring about the spiritual and social and cultural renewal to the city of Evansville, as we say that we want to do in our vision statement, we have to be, as a church, very intentional about integrating the arts into our ministry. And my hope is that as a result of this series, what you will learn to do is to learn to look at movies differently. I I know that some of you come from... Uh, church backgrounds, religious backgrounds, spiritual backgrounds, where you were taught to avoid the movies, maybe even to be afraid of the movies. I want you to understand that you don't have to be afraid of movies. I want you to understand that you can appreciate and even celebrate movies for their creativity and for the redemptive elements that are in those movies, and yet at the same time learn to identify and critique the worldviews that are behind those movies. And so what we're going to do this morning is I'm I'm just going to challenge you Uh, And I I said this one time before in Evansville, not to great success, but I'm going to challenge you today to reach up real high and loosen your halos. And we're going to start with watching a a little trailer of the movie Dallas Buyers Club. Let's watch. Mr. Woodruff, you've tested positive for hiv have you ever used intravenous drugs have you ever engaged in homosexual conduct Homa. Homa. You, you say homo you made a mistake that ain't me mr woodruff we estimate you have 30 days left and New news flash yeah there ain't nothing out there can kill ron woodruff in 30 days Them drugs they just released for testing and i know this hospital's one of the size I need it it doesn't work that way mr woodruff where are you going uh, they got good meds out of Mexico. That's better than what you can get here in the States. This yes. is protein, totally non-toxic. And you can't buy this in the USA? Unapproved. You could be making a fortune off of this. You look great. Actually, I amazing. Anything to declare? Nada. They're importing illegal drugs for sale. It's a very serious offense. They're not illegal. They're merely unapproved. I've been looking for you, Lone Star. Listen, Tinkerbell, unless you got more cash or new clients, I'm busy. You don't deserve our money. Cut you in. Five percent. Twenty-five. Take it or leave it. Welcome to the Dallas Buyers Club. You treating these people? They're treating themselves. I ain't selling drugs. I'm selling membership. Walker, Dorsett, these are patients. Yes, sir. They're also the names of players on the Dallas Cowboys. That's a hell of a question. What the hell is it? I have a court order permitting us to confiscate any and all non-FDA approved supplements. We need a new supply. Check Amsterdam, Ghana, and Israel. We has been doing business with you. Why are we here? Nice restaurant, beautiful woman. That's where I feel like a human again. You alone. Mr. Woodruff, what is going on? People are dying. You're nothing more than a common drug dealer. TJ Rayon. Freaking coma, oh. Oh. I got one life. wanted to mean something, just let me be. Your... As you may know, uh. The movie Dallas Buyers Club was based on a true story. And the star is an emaciated Matthew McConaughey who plays Ron Woodruff. Uh, He's a good old boy Texan. He's diagnosed with HIV in 1985, and he's given, by his doctors, he's given 30 days to live. Jared Leto plays, he does a phenomenal role, uh, a phenomenal job of playing a heartbreaking transsexual and fellow AIDS patient named Rayon who becomes Ron Woodruff's business partner. And then Jennifer Garner plays the role of a doctor who has more than just a clinical interest in the people that she cares for. The movie was directed by Jean-Marc Vallée, who masterfully, I think, allows us in this movie to see both the best and the worst of humanity and the characters of this movie. I have to tell you that my interest in this movie was more than just artistic or for its entertainment value. I moved to Dallas in the very year that Ron Woodruff was diagnosed with HIV in 1985. And I remember the fear that struck the city over the spread of the AIDS virus. I can remember seeing a a map of the city with little black pins representing certain areas of the city where people had been diagnosed with HIV. And there were some parts of the city that were completely black, just completely blocked out. And there was no part of the city that didn't have some pins in it. Most of the people I knew knew at least someone with AIDS, uh, if not multiple people. We had children in the churches that I was part of that had contracted HIV through their birth mothers. And I watched a friend of mine in my church. He was a new Christian. <clears throat> watched a friend of mine in my church who had contracted AIDS from intravenous drug use, die an excruciating death from AIDS. And I am not—I uh, am not proud at all to tell you um, that I was very conflicted about my relationship with this guy. His name was Lindsay. I was very conflicted about my relationship with him. On the one hand, I wanted to befriend him. I wanted to be like Christ with the lepers in the New Testament, unafraid to touch them and unafraid to befriend them. Yet, at the same time, I I will tell you that uh, there were still enormous unknowns in the mid-80s, late-80s, early-90s. There were still enormous unknowns about um, HIV and how it was spread and, and what later proved to be erroneous information about how HIV spread. And so, uh, again, I'm not proud to say it, but there were many times that I felt as much fear and worry personally about contracting HIV uh, from Lindsay as, uh, as I did compassion for Lindsay. I remember the first time that I uh, went to lunch with him, I, I was worried um, that my glass of water was somehow going to touch his glass of water and that I would contract HIV from, from that. When Lindsay died, uh, many of us who knew him in the church were on a death watch with him. Uh, I arrived at his room. Uh, was I was called and arrived at his room uh, just immediately after he died, and his body was still there, and his body was emaciated, and he had lesions uh, on his face and arms. And uh, honest truth, I was... I was worried that somehow the virus was still in the air, and I wish I could tell you that I was more relieved that Lindsay was no longer suffering and in the presence of his Savior. Uh, Wish I was more relieved about that than I was worried about myself, but um, I'm not exactly sure what the percentages was, but I I know that there was a lot of self-worry and self-concern in it. Also, not proud to tell you that two churches that I was a part of at that time uh, were appropriately concerned about developing policies and procedures for dealing with people who were in our church that had AIDS, but not terribly concerned to go out and minister to people in the city of Dallas who had AIDS. I'm not proud of any of those things. And I'm also not proud to say that some in the Christian community in Dallas saw AIDS as God's wrath on homosexuality. Not proud of that either. And I guess I tell you all of that to say that my interest in the movie Dallas Buyers Club was not merely, again, it wasn't merely entertainment value. It was was somewhat personal. Ron Woodruff, as he's portrayed in the movie, is a hard-living electrician and he's a part-time rodeo rider. He's an anti-hero when we meet him. His life is a rodeo ride of cocaine and booze and prostitution and macho pride. And he is unlikable and he is vulgar and he is a sleazeball and he is hateful and he is mean-spirited and he is a creep. And frankly, he is that for most of the movie. From the very outset of the movie, you get the sense that there is this uh, darkness that is approaching his life that he seems completely oblivious to. And then comes the news. After collapsing at work, he's taken to the hospital. His blood uh, work is drawn, and uh, his, the results paint a very deathly picture, a T-cell count that is so low that the doctors are shocked that he's alive. And they give him a diagnosis of HIV, and they tell him that he only has 30 days to live. And he refuses to believe this diagnosis, and he asks the doctor in a characteristically hateful way, do I look like a faggot to you? Because, you see, Ron prides himself on being a man's man, and so he hates homosexuals, and he ridicules them, and he makes fun of them with his friends. But it doesn't take Ron long to understand the dangerous gravity of his situation, and that indeed he does have HIV, and his long battle for survival begins. And we ride with Ron through this emotional rodeo as he struggles just to hang on, just to survive at first. And then we see him sort of characteristic with who he is. He begins to selfishly and crassly see the opportunity to make money selling treatment and non-FDA-approved drugs to other people who have this disease. And then finally... And I won't tell you the end of the movie, but I will tell you that finally, near the end, Ron Woodruff becomes a genuine campaigner and a defender of the rights of people with this tragic illness. And as I said, I'm not going to spoil the ending for those of you who haven't seen it and who may decide to go see it. I do want to say this, that if you're skeptical about the redemptive value of movies to begin with and are looking for a reason not to like this movie, I feel very certain you can find quite a few reasons not to like this movie. Uh, Because there is sexual immorality in it, there is vulgar language in it, there is some violence in it, and I am certainly not endorsing any of those things. I, I would say, though, that I'm not quite certain how you would tell a story like this without some of that, at least. But I would also add that I'm not sure that any of those things were the most objectionable aspects of the movie. And I'll tell you about more about that in just a moment. I want to share with you two observations that I came away from this movie with that I think are absolutely consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, th- there's a lot more, by the way. There are more than just two. But in the interest of time, I can only share with you two this morning. But I think these are powerful. And I think they were powerfully portray- portrayed in this movie. And sometimes I think the best way for us to see some of these things is to see them in the context of something dramatic like this. Because we can talk about it in an abstract way, all that we want. But sometimes it's helpful to see it, to see how it's played out, and to see what it really looks like. And here's the first one that I, the first thing that I walked away with from this movie is that in our self righteousness, we all tend to be extremely judgmental towards sin struggles that we don't understand. In our self-righteousness, we all tend to be extremely judgmental towards sin struggles that we don't understand. Throughout most of this movie, Ron Woodruff is scathing in his comments and his attitudes toward people who struggle with homosexuality, but he is very accepting of his own misogyny, and his own heterosexual uh, promiscuity throughout the movie. See, there there is this self-righteousness in all of us that finds ways to rationalize and justify our own sins while at the same time harshly judging the sins of others that we don't understand. And I think this is the very thing that Jesus was combating when he was talking to the Pharisees. And he was talking to them about... You remember this passage of the speck in the eye? We'll put it up here on the, on the screen so that you can see it. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? He says, How can you say to your brother, Let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, he says. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly. To remove the speck uh, from your brother's eye. See, we're all this way where we all want to minimize our own sin issues and we want to condemn other people. We want to think that we're better than uh, someone else. We want to distance ourselves from our own unrighteousness and we want to distance ourselves from what we have in common with the rest of humanity so that we can keep up our petty distinctions of who's better and who's not better. Why? Why do we, why do, we do this? what? I don't. I really don't mean to be repetitive, but last week we talked about this. We talked about the trauma of grace. Do you remember talking about it? We said that it's very traumatic to realize that you need grace as much as anyone else. It's very humbling. Like it crushes. Uh, it crushes you. It destroys your pride and it and it destroys your judgmentalness. And to realize that Christ had to die on the cross because you. Not him or her, but because you were such a wicked sinner that there was no other way that your sins could be atoned for. You see, we'll do anything to avoid grace. We'll do anything to cling to, our, to just even any shred of our tattered dignity. We'll even rationalize and justify our own sins. And frankly, unfortunately, this is all too common, even in the context of a local church that is supposed to it's supposed to unite around a crucified Savior. And because it's all too common in the context of the local church, it's one of the reasons the gospel is on, decli- on the decline in America. I know I've used this quote before, but I love it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it again. That Somebody once said that the church is not made up of spiritual giants. Only broken men and women can lead other people to the cross. See, the the, the cross is it's a great equalizer of, of of life. It says to the moral housewife. And it says to the prostitute, and it says to the trustworthy accountant, and to the drug addict, and it says to the white-collar CEO, and to the blue-collar worker, and it says to the heterosexual, and it says to the homosexual, it says that there are no distinctions, there are no social distinctions, there are no hierarchies at the foot of the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ was spilled, the body of Jesus Christ was broken for each and every one of you. But that is very humbling to hear. And so we like to be, we like to be very... Um, we like to minimize our own sins and look at other people with extreme harshness, harshness when we don't understand their sins. We don't understand the sin struggles that they have. Which sort of leads me to my second observation, and that is that personal suffering... Tends to level out our social prejudices. Uh, Have you ever noticed that? That personal suffering tends to level out our social prejudices. One of the common objections that I I often hear from people to the existence of God, many people will ask this question, if God is good, why does He allow suffering? And... uh, I certainly don't claim this morning to be able to to provide you with a complete answer to that question. I don't know all the reasons that God allows suffering, but I wonder if in a fallen world where people have so many ridiculous prejudices and social distinctions and hierarchies of who's better than someone else and all of it is intended to exalt self and diminish other people, I wonder if one of the reasons that God allows suffering in a fallen world is simply to allow those prejudices to be leveled out. As I said in the movie, uh, Ron Woodruff was a hard-living, vulgar, heterosexual, womanizer, misogynist, who hates homosexuals. And in one of his stays um, in the HIV ward of the hospital, he meets this transsexual named Rayon, played by Jared Leto, who happened to be his roommate in this hospital room. Rayon introduces himself to Ron Woodruff, and Woodruff uh, threatens Rayon and, and says, stay away from me, until suddenly... The illness itself or maybe the treatment that he was receiving, the AZT treatment that he was receiving, I'm not sure which caused it, but one of those causes a cramp in Woodruff's calf. And it just sends searing pain, you know, throughout his body. And he is unable to do anything to relieve it on his own. He is vulnerable and he is in pain and he is in need. And it's fascinating that this person who he had just cursed graciously reaches out to him and touches him and just rubs the cramp out of his, out of his leg. Something about suffering that just tends to level out our social prejudices. Because when you suffer, you're vulnerable, you're in need as much as everyone else in the room. And it doesn't matter whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, in that moment... Now, hold on. I know some of you are going to freak. But I'm just saying, in that moment, it doesn't matter whether you're heterosexual or you're homosexual or whether you're rich or whether you're poor. You're suffering. And you're in need. And you're equally in need. When Ron's friends learn that he has HIV they not only abandon him, but they assume that he's gay, and they treat him in the same despicable manner that he treated gay people. And he finds himself all alone facing this death sentence that he's just been given. And the people that he thought were his friends completely abandon him. There's only two people who don't abandon him. And interestingly enough, they are the type of people that he abused before. One is Rayon, a transsexual, and the other is Jennifer Garner's character, a female doctor. And through this, somehow, Woodruff begins to realize that gays and straights and men and women all share a common humanity. And this doctor, this, this woman, becomes the first woman, I think, that he had ever really loved in a genuine way as a human being, not someone to use for his sexual gratification. I told you a few minutes ago some things I wasn't proud of, and I'm going to tell you something else I'm not proud of. When I was younger, um, I would have made fun of someone like Rayon. But I suppose age and my own sufferings in life and my own failures in life, my own sin struggles in life, I guess they've tended to soften some of the harshness with which I look at people who are different than me. And as I watch this movie... Um, No doubt because of Jared Leto's tremendous acting, it had nothing to do with me, I can assure you. But I think because of Jared Leto's um, genius artistry, I found myself in this movie drawn to Rayon's humanity more than I was repulsed by the nature of his sin struggle two particular scenes that drew out in me enormous compassion for Rayon's suffering. One of those scenes is the only scene that Rayon is not dressed in woman's clothing. Rayon goes to visit his father and to ask um, for money to help Ron Woodruff's cause. Father is a wealthy executive of some kind with whom Rayon, or as we learn in that scene, Raymond, has no real relationship with. His father's clearly ashamed of his son. Seeing his son for the very first time in a very long time, all dad can say to his son is, I suppose I should be thankful that you didn't wear women's clothing today. And I thought to myself... How lonely it must be to have a father happier that you didn't embarrass him than just to see you. And then there's this scene near the end. I won't tell you everything that happens, so this is not no spoiler alert here. But if there is this scene near the end where Rayon begins to cough up blood and his partner wants to take him to the hospital, and Rayon, with blood dripping from his mouth, just cries out in agony and fear, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I can't do it like Jared Leto did it, so know that. That wasn't as powerful as the moment Jared Leto did it in the movie. But in that moment, I... In that moment, I didn't see transsexual or gay. I just saw a human being who was suffering and who I just didn't want to die. What if the local church were that kind of place where we were able to see past the external issues in our lives to one another's common humanity? This is, I think, what Paul uh, seems to be speaking to in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He's speaking to a very diverse group of people with a lot of problems and a lot of issues. And he he writes to them, and he says, go ahead and put this up on the screen so we can see it. No, go back. Go back. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in, what's that word there? all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in... What's that word? Any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. There is this sense in which what we have gone through, our own suffering should should create in us a compassion for other people who are suffering. That Rather than just focusing on the external issues and judging sins that we don't understand that we're able to say, I feel compassion for you because, look, we're all in this thing together. The local church is supposed to be a place where we can see past the external and that we can see and understand the common humanity that we have and to comfort other people who are suffering. But so often the church is not that way. Even in the context of the local church, we leave in place these hierarchies of sins and these distinctions between who's better than someone else and whose sins are worse than someone else. And I will tell you that in this sense, not in every sense, not in in every sense, but in this sense, do you know who comes closer to God's design for the local church than the local church? A.A., Alcoholics Anonymous. If you walk into an AA meeting, it really doesn't matter whether you're an executive or a garbage collector or a man or a woman or straight or gay or hip or nerdy. All you see in that room are alcoholics, and that's who they see themselves as, are alcoholics. And that's what makes it such a powerful experience. No one there has it all together. Everyone there is clinging to sobriety because they all understand their need and they all understand their brokenness. And everyone who enters there finds acceptance. Oh, that the local church would be more like an AA meeting in that sense. If we were, I I would tell you that I do not believe that the gospel's influence in America would be on the decline the way it is. Now look, I don't know all the reasons why God allows suffering in the world, but I do wonder if some of suffering's purpose is to level out some of these petty prejudices that we have. One of the things that's so fascinating to me in this movie is that in his suffering, Ron Woodruff became a kind of savior for the people that he thought he was better than but wasn't. Now here's what's fascinating to me. In the gospel, the one who really is better than us lowered himself to our level by becoming human. And in his suffering, he became a savior for us. It's fascinating that a movie like this one could remind us, even in a small way, of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now look... um, I want you to understand there were things in this movie that I didn't agree with. For instance, there's never a moment in this movie, at least as it's portrayed, I don't know how close it was to real life, but there's never a moment in this movie where Ron Woodruff took responsibility for the circumstances that he found himself in. Um, He never takes responsibility for his own sexual sin and how that put him in harm's way. He is very quick in this movie to blame and to demonize doctors and pharmaceutical companies and the FDA, all of whom may well have been guilty. I, I, I don't know. They may have been guilty of greed and social injustice and lack of compassion, as it's portrayed in the movie. But make no mistake, Ron Woodruff put himself in this situation by his own sexual sin. And I would love to have seen him own that. He never did, at least in the movie. He never, he never did. So I don't agree with everything about this movie, but I do think that there are some redemptive messages in this movie. Now, I suspect that in my comments uh, this morning, I have offended probably everybody in some way, shape, or form. I've probably offended both liberals and conservatives this morning. Liberals, I've probably offended people who are liberal because i referred to sexual promiscuity, and homosexuality is sin. And liberals hate to hear that. They hate, because when I say that, what it means is that I'm saying that I believe that God has authority to govern our sex lives. And liberals hate to hear that. On the other hand, I've probably offended some conservatives by saying that I was more drawn to the humanity of these characters than I was repulsed by their specific sins and probably offended some conservatives for not hammering the movie for the sexual immorality that's depicted in the movie. And I believe that's wrong. Don't misunderstand me. I do believe it's wrong. But conservatives don't like um, to hear uh, me say that I would be more drawn to their humanity than the specific sins that they struggle with, because we tend to be more offended by sexual sin than we are by social prejudices and injustice. I said earlier that I'm not sure that the sexual immorality in the language was the most offensive part of the movie. It was offensive, but I'm not not sure that it was the most offensive part of the movie. I think that the arrogance that Ron Woodruff had toward gays and the hypocrisy with which he treated them and the greed and the social injustice as it was portrayed in the movie um, of the pharmaceutical companies and the FDA. I think that was just as morally offensive. But I would wager that conservatives would be more offended by sex and the language. Most of you understand, and I know I've said this before, that the gospel is not liberal and it is not conservative. The gospel is in a category all of its own. It neither takes the liberal approach, refusing to call behavior sin, but it also doesn't take the conservative approach of condemning some sins more than others. The gospel says, and I want you to notice as you see this, I want you to notice the word sin, but I also want you to notice the inclusive language in these verses. Romans 3.23 and uh, Romans 5.8. Watch this. For all, how many people? Would that be a conservative? Would that be a liberal? Would that be a heterosexual? Would that be a homosexual? It includes everybody. For all have, and then what's this word? What's the word? Uh, It's the word sinned. Bible calls it sin. But it says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then watch this in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while who? That includes you and me. While we were still, and there's the word again. See, it's not conservative, it's not liberal. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For who? Does that include you? Does that include me? Does that include a gay person? Yeah. Christ died for us. I want you to understand, my goal here is not to get you to see the movie. You have to make your own decision about whether you want to see a movie, see that movie, and what your own thresholds of tolerance are for certain things in a movie. Can I tell you this? Can I show you how I watch a movie sometimes? Like if I go to the theater sometimes and I watch a movie, sometimes the way I watch a movie is like this uh, with my eyes closed. And sometimes, I mean, there are parts of a movie where I may close my eyes, and there are parts of the movie where I'm not embarrassed to do this and just stick my fingers in my ear if I need to. And if I'm at home watching it, uh, I have this great thing. It's called a fast-forward button, and I can push that, and I can skip through certain things, and that's a great thing. You'll have to make your own decision about whether you want to see a movie like this and, again, what your thresholds of tolerance are. But I, I want you to know this. Christ loves people like Ron Woodruff and Rayon and me. And the cross changes how we look at everyone. And if this movie could help you see past certain kinds of sins in people and to see in them a common humanity, and if it could help create a passion to get the gospel to people, a passion that you never felt before, it might just be worth seeing. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we thank you for the creative gift that you've given people. I don't agree with everything in that movie. I don't agree with everything about um, what was portrayed in that movie. But I know that I'm no better than the people that were portrayed in that movie. And I am incredibly thankful for the cross. I'm incredibly thankful for what you did for me on the cross. Lord, would you let our church, city church, would you let every church in this community be a place where we're able to look past the external and we're able to share and to see our common humanity? Would you give us as a church a passion for people that are different than us, perhaps? Would you give us a passion for them as people? and A passion to get the gospel to them. Lord, we pray these things now in your name. Amen.